0: Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges of developing cooperative businesses. The Common Share is produced by Cooperatives First, a business development organization that increases awareness and understanding of the co op business model and supports cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For a background around co-ops and a better way to do business, visit our website, cooperativesfirst.com. The site has great resources and business development tools for groups forming new ventures. I'm Asa Marshall, and I'm here today with my colleagues Dan Matthews and Kyle White from Cooperatives First. And today we're going to discuss member engagement. Right, guys, I guess I'll start off with the first question for either one of you. What is member engagement? Are there, are there different types? What Can someone define it for me?
1: I mean, member engagement is kind of like just getting involved in an organization. We're talking about co-ops, so it's getting involved in that sort of organization. But I often like to think of it in two ways, financial engagement and organizational engagement, or as Daniel Cote from St. Mary's University calls it, enterprise and associative. Much fancier. Very fancy. So it's kind of like, if you want to think about that in, say, a co-op store, your financial engagement in the co-op stores shopping there and spending your money there and patronizing it while your organizational your associative engagement is taking part in the AGM serving on the board participating in member surveys things like that I would say it's also important to remember what you mean
2: by member and uh, membership because you have to speak to someone you need to kind of define that personality or that group of people so that you can speak to them in a meaningful and relevant way so There are many types of membership engagement, but what that means can be very different depending on who your members are.
1: Well, and it's funny to say that because just yesterday I was reading a report the Centre for the Study of Cooperatives at USAS is putting together. Um, Shout out to Amanda Sampson. And the paper quotes um, Birchall and Simmons, and it says that there's four types of members in a cooperative. Ten bucks to whoever can guess which category we fall into. There's your true believers, your current and future board members. There's your general supporters, the folks that are going to attend the AGM and be active or active-ish. There's your loyal patrons who we support our co-op and we're going to use our co-op. And then there's the casual members of the non-members who are kind of like, yeah, it's fine.
0: Well, I I assume that depending on the type of co-op, you're going to have different levels of engagement and and maybe not Mm -hmm. more of some of those types and less of others. So for example, in a worker cooperative, you're probably going to have a lot of true believers or or very loyal um, members. And and in a large consumer cooperative, you're more likely to have many more that are less engaged.
1: I would say, you know, member engagement, it rolls out in a couple of different ways. And depending on the organization, as you said, worker co-ops, I mean, those people's jobs are affected by their organization. So they're going to be highly involved, highly engaged, wanting that organization to succeed. Housing co-ops, similar to a lesser extent. I'm involved with housing organizations um, in my volunteer time. And it's, it's always a little surprising how little people care about where they live. People aren't necessarily willing to get involved or put in some time and effort to make that successful. Um, there are housing co-ops that do a great job of member engagement and people who are very passionate If you ever check out anything written by the Canadian Housing Federation or check out their newsletters or features of the housing co-ops that they feature, there's great work being done all across Canada. But then you look at some of the consumer co-ops, and some of them are huge. You know, Pioneer Co-op has 23,000 members. Saskatoon Co-op has, must be 150 now that they've merged with Hepburn and Watrous. MEC has
0: 5 million.
1: MEC has 5 million. Desjardins has 7 million. Those are big AGMs, right? (laughs) Yes. We're we're filling the Air Canada Centre with some of those. So, I mean, but yeah, your true believers are going to come out of that naturally, organically. Uh, Your general supporters are also going to be there. That's probably where I fall, who I attend everything, but I probably don't have time to get involved in the board. And then the loyalty is quite significant. I mean, I would say most co-ops are doing, uh, most of the co-op stores are doing quite well. And you see that in their year-end reports. Mm Mm-hmm. It also depends, I think, on time.
2: I think worker co-ops and uh, producer co-ops are kind of the more, what you would think of as more engaged membership over time could lose focus on their reason for being is or what their vision is and and why they're doing what they're doing. So it would be a similar challenge to what happens on uh, sort of the periphery of a consumer co-op where you have members that are maybe not. That's tightly tied to the the mission and vision or to the core business. And uh, they just, you know, maybe they just shop at the store and they think of it like a Costco membership or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So really understanding who you are and who you're talking to is is super important.
1: That kind of aligns with the quote that I heard the other day. Member engagement is all about aligning member views with the board's vision. Maybe. (laughs) Is it? You know, it's hard to say. It... um, How many organizations actually do that? You know? Mm -hmm. How many organizations actually take time to listen to members? Again, smaller ones are probably really good at doing that. Mm -hmm. But how many organizations only engage their membership at the AGM once a year?
0: So yeah, that that ties into uh, kind of the concept of there's an author called Jim McNamara who talks about organizational listening. So what he's studied is nonprofit, government, and uh, corporate organizations in, I believe, the U.S., UK, and Australia. So it was quite a wide study, and overall they found that about eighty percent of the communication resources of those organizations went to trying to get messages out. To their members, out to customers, so informing people, speaking out about things. Very little of it was actually listening to what their customer membership base was saying, and and even then, even when they did try some outreach, it was usually fairly passive. Like they'll send out a survey, um, they might listen to sort of the usual suspects, but but they didn't get a very wide ranging idea of what the people who they want to engage are actually saying and so I don't know how you how do you think that sort of ties into this member engagement idea how how should organizations listen to their memberships
2: well in the uh, today's day and age there is almost an infinite number of ways of doing Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and not all of it is intrusive in your members existence you can do it through all the POS systems in the consumer retail shops that uh, you see across western Canada are tracking purchases and they're tied to a member number so you could, just going through that data in itself is a type of membership engagement. You can have the old school suggestion box, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's the standby. And <laughs> as long as you're reading those things and responding to them in some fashion, mm-hmm. you could, uh, you know, that is quality listening.
1: Mm-hmm. I would think a lot of co-ops today probably have your digital suggestion box, mm-hmm. good old Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that is good and bad, probably. It, I mean, those are public-facing things. And on a couple of occasions, I've seen organizations get chewed out quite extensively mm-hmm. over their social media. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a good way to get people involved in things. Yeah. I know just recently Saskatoon Co-op had a couple of social media campaigns, basically organized to get people talking about co-op products and life, I guess. Um, but, like, what's your favorite thing to cook on the barbecue? What's the craziest thing to cook on the barbecue? Mine's shark, FYI. <laughs> um, but it gets like hundreds and hundreds of people involved. So, I mean, it's kind of achieving one of its goals and that it's actually getting people involved and in talking mm-hmm. about the co-op. But that can also work against you. Like if your organization makes a mistake or it's perceived to be um, shutting people out, if, say, for example, there's a union dispute, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's going to draw a lot of criticism. And if that's publicly facing, there's tens of thousands of people potentially that could see that and that could impact your business mm-hmm. so technology probably has a role in making a suggestion box accessible but it might be dangerous uh it, for sure there's uh i mean
2: there's ways of uh also listening to social like there are tools out there that you can actually listen to your brand as it were through social networks and how to- listen to how people are talking about you without actually engaging in those conversations so mm-hmm. it's somewhat less risky i suppose mm-hmm. um yeah but there's also you know sort of more strategic ways of doing this where like stocksy has a actual member chat space and so you're instead of just listening once a year or being very reactive just waiting for things to happen you could actually put topics out you could organize conversations around things that you've been hearing about or so there, there are many many ways to engage without necessarily uh you know putting yourself at risk on the other hand, social media is kind of about falling on your face once in a while, and as long as you own it. Is that why it's called Facebook? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. exactly.
0: I think um, McNamara, too, though, points out that you know social media is a great tool, mm-hmm. but often it, it is still used to put messages out rather than actually... So using social media strategically to actually try to create dialogue and, and actually create spaces where people can provide their feedback maybe in, in productive ways, rather than, again, just trying to push messages to your membership make sure you're still you still have to actively strategize around making sure you're also getting the feedback from them as Mm -hmm. well yeah there's lots
2: of like stuff on the internet I'll tell you that you should only put out uh, unidirectional messaging sort of like once every eight posts or whatever Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's any sort of uh, cookie cutter template to that but for sure social media is customer service not a sales channel or uh, advertising channel necessarily It's about creating a community and and creating conversation. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So I guess now that we've sort of defined member engagement, do you guys want to talk about just why is it even important? Why should we care about membership engagement?
1: I guess it gets back to those two key pieces of membership engagement, the financial and the organizational. The reason co-ops are formed and the reason people join co-ops as opposed to other organizations is because they want to be involved in the organization. Like we all shop at co-op because we want to, shop at Co-op and we're an owner of Co-op and it's better than Sobeys and things stay local and all the other cool things about Co-op, but it's because we want to be part of that organization. If you lose that, if you somehow don't engage your members in that organization or at least give them a sense that either they have some value in the organization or that the organization is bringing value to them, there's a good chance you're going to lose that financial engagement as well. And when you start losing the financial engagement of your members, you've got big problems.
0: Mm -hmm. So is there a way that co-ops can actually measure what that membership engagement is? Is there a way you can quantify it?
1: Yeah, there are hard numbers, like
2: how many people show up at your AGM or what percentage of your membership shows up at your AGM. Mm-hmm. Or
1: Is that necessarily a good measure? I am not I mean, that at all. At, at, but, uh, at, I was going to say, it uh, one, one of the last ones I showed up at was uh, there were 400 people there. That was 100 people more than they'd had in the previous year. And that is, I think, like a... Four thousandths of a percent yeah. of the membership. Yeah. So I mean, it, like it's good. Mm-hmm. Don't get do me wrong; it's definitely good. They made quorum. Things happened. People had fun. There was cake. So who wouldn't it's love totally it? Thing, so. mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it's just one of the realities I think of that type of co-op. Yeah, and maybe you know when
2: four hundredth of a percent is, is what the target was. You know, like it's everyone has to kind of define what what they consider a success. And uh, you know, if you're a small worker co-op, you have three or four people. Hopefully, you get everybody out. Yeah. If you don't, maybe you have some troubles.
0: That's yeah. a problem.
2: Uh, but if you're a giant consumer co op and you're able to, or even a, we have a credit union in a town who mm-hmm. use blockchain to Ooh. do their voting. Wow. Well. Uh, you know, maybe that's controversial. I don't know. <laughs> it's a new technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, it was a way, it's a you know, technical. St- tactic for trying to make the AGM and the voting process more accessible. And you know, if it did by whatever percentage, then I guess you'd consider that a success.
0: Mm -hmm. Seems like voting in the AGM though maybe is is just maybe one small example of Mm -hmm. what membership engagement is or how it can be quantified. Can you guys think of any other examples or ways?
1: That's definitely one. Um, it always of course comes back to the financial and using the Mm co-op. I know certain groups have um, uh, volunteerism in the co-op as a good measurement. So serving on the board, if there's a board vacancy, that's probably a good sign that you've got an issue engaging your membership. Um, so one of the things that this literature review did put together quite nicely is it identifies a couple different components of member engagement, and I'll just I'll just list them out really quickly. Uh, there's democracy, I think we're all familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. Confidence and trust, presumably in your co-op, mm-hmm. communication slash information, accountability, incentives, and loyalty. So I, I think this really gets at a really important point with membership engagement in that it's a two-way thing. Exactly. So members, of course, need to engage in their co-op, and technically by being a member, they've agreed that they're going to do that in some one form or another. Um, but co-ops need to get them engaged somehow. So it's both providing space and opportunity to do that, communicating with members so that they're you know being accountable and the member knows what it is their co-op's doing and what they're engaging with, but also to give some sort of incentive to communicate, to getting engaged in the co-op. And there's a whole bunch of ways to do that. Uh, certainly having a say is a big incentive that most other businesses don't have. But then there's your cool models. Uh, steep Hill Co-op has a really great model for getting people more engaged in the business, uh, built into their pricing structure. So the way Steep Hill Co-op works, you walk into a store, you pick up some oregano, some organic non-GMO oregano, (laughs) off of the shelf, and if you're a working member, which means you work two hours per month at the store, uh, you pay the shelf price. If you're a member but you didn't fulfill your work commitment, you pay shelf price plus a 10% markup and if you're a non-member you pay a 25% markup so that's like a tangible way of making clear the benefits of getting involved in that organization Mm -hmm. and you can access some really really great products
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, at affordable rates if you do I can think of uh, like one of my favorite
2: examples uh, is MEC or it's incentivizing but also just like the, the brand presence that they present is unique it's aspirational you want to be a part of that and the only way to show up with them is to be a member so there's a high incentive to want to be one of the cool kids and be a part of the, the mech sort of community mm-hmm. and that I think is is, is brilliant like you're that's, that's on an emotional level and getting someone engaged on that level is you know you're going to have loyalty for a long time
1: people buy into that as a lifestyle rather than just a mm-hmm. store to buy things in um Another way, it doesn't quite get on the same level as MEC, perhaps, but uh, I heard about this from the Cannot Housing Co-op in in PA, uh, Seniors Housing, but, uh, again, getting people involved. Um, It's a housing co-op. They give people discounts on their housing charges. If you serve on a board, you get a discount. If you serve on a committee, you get a discount. And if you perform maintenance tasks, sweep up the stuff, repair things, help out an older housing member, you get a discount. So again, that's a tangible benefit that people can appreciate and will make them want to get involved.
0: I'm just thinking about the other types of, of cooperatives, and it seems like the the sort of smaller, when you're not thinking about the large consumer co-ops or even, even housing ones, say your worker and producer, the, the incentives seem to be built in, right? Like the incentive is being a member of that. The incentive of a worker co-op is that you get to have a job or at a producer co-op where you're one of a small group of, of people that are collectively, whether it's purchasing product you need or being able to market it. I mean, the incentives are the, the existence of the co-op in, in general, I would think. so. Yeah, your,
2: your own independent business as as being a part of that co-op benefits from it, you know, whether yeah. it's market access or mm-hmm. increased efficiencies or whatever it is. Yeah,
0: so maybe member engagement doesn't need to be, don't need to quite, you know, strategize quite as, as no, much not as Not so much
2: on the incentive other than reminding people that they are benefiting from this incentive mm-hmm. of, of being a part of the producer co op and, mm-hmm. and, you know, delivering product to it or using the co op. Mm-hmm. So.
0: So maybe just constant sort of education and reminding people of, of what the strengths of the of model are, what, yeah. what are the, the reasons that they were, became a member in the first place. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a couple organizations that do that really quite well. Um, and the, one of the best ones is probably the Arctic Co-op System. Again, they've got a bit of a built-in member engagement situation happening there. In most of the 33 communities that they serve, they're the only store in town. But they've done a really great job, I think, of making it so that people understand their role in those co-ops, their role as owners of those stores. And as a result, I think they've got a strong buy-in when it comes to serving on boards and um, getting involved in the management of of the organizations. One cool fact, a lot of the politicians, whether it be um, counselors and mayors, or um, members of the legislature in, in the Northwest Territories often get their first start in that sort of role, in that sort of managerial role, in their local co-op association,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and really like clearly
2: understanding what the core sort of incentive of being a part of the co-op is, and uh, you know the co ops sort of reiteration of that. On a regular basis is uh, like even with a worker co-op. Over time, I think it you know people can get complacent with the uh, the fact that they have a job and that they come to the job every day and then it's just a job and it's not you know you have to be reminded that you're actually an owner and that your vision for this thing has impact and that you are a contributing member of of, uh, of the ownership, not just someone who shows up for the paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a different level of engagement. Mm-hmm. So I was talking with a, a researcher who's an expert in co-op governance, my kind of guy. And, uh, you know, he was saying, that, like, worker co-ops are really the ones that kind of keep him awake at night when it comes to issues in governance. The organizational structure itself is a bit trickier because people are in that position serving the role of workers and The incentives in that case are, of course, pay. And because they're also the employer, it requires them to take on a a role that I would say most workers aren't overly comfortable with. So in cases where you don't have a lot of experience managing a business or managing staff or figuring out how to muddle through conflict, which a lot of co-ops don't, and that's fine, it does create an opportunity where you could get yourself into quite a sticky situation or, or a problem that you just can't solve. But another issue related to worker co-ops that is hugely critical for member engagement is to prevent centralization of control. Um, Again, you're a worker in an organization. Usually you're answerable to your manager, your supervisor, your boss. There's cases of of worker co-ops across Canada where, you know, central powers emerge, power in the organization gets centralized and taken away from other people. And at the end of the day, you end up alienating your members and in a small organization that can create a really toxic environment. Yeah, and that can happen
2: actually through really well-meaning uh, processes, mm-hmm. too. Like, you, ha- you may have one uh, member who's quite charismatic as a bit of, a, takes up a bit of a leadership role and then over time everyone just kind of defers to their decision-making mm-hmm. and that eventually, you know, creates dependence and the actual governance will fall down, really, and uh, as you, even as members kind of come and go, that person may remind, remain the sort of c- constant and uh, become a kind of all powerful figure in uh, the brand and also the, um, uh, in terms of decision making. So, Crazy.
0: are there any other tools you guys think that the co ops can uh, capitalize on to, in order to do member engagement well?
1: Um, we actually created a blog not too long ago on exactly this. It was a two part series one was What the Heck is Member Engagement? And then the other is um, Five Ways to Enhance Your Co ops Member Engagement. And I'll just read through the five of them and then we can maybe discuss it. Um, One is incentives, which we've talked a little bit about. You need to create community or space for people to engage. You need to be relevant and use means that people want to use to engage. You need to have diversity. People are going to engage with co-ops that look like them or reflect their community. And you should just do it. I think a lot of organizations talk about how to engage members or have studies done to engage members, but, I mean, just go talk to people. At the
2: end of the day, you really just got
1: to do it, and you can't be afraid to fall on your face. And in one of our podcasts, we talked about diversity, and ACU written a really great blog on um, diversity in co-ops and on boards, and one of the statistics that jumps out for me from that is that 27%... Co op board positions are held by women. Uh, that's a hell of a lot better than the corporate sector, where it's about 14%, but that's a long way off of what it needs to be. And I mean, you look at a lot of co ops, you know, you see typically your old boys' club, or I should say your old white boys' club, and it's a good to a fair chance people aren't going to feel like they have a voice if leadership doesn't at least. Reflect some of their ideas, their values, their demographic, and how the community looks. Well, and you also
2: really risk creating an echo chamber for yourself, so that Mm -hmm. you're not—you're not even open to hearing other voices. Mm -hmm. And the—I mean—the real irony of it is, some of the larger uh, co-ops who have frontline staff that is highly diverse, and their boards or management are pretty much clones of each other.
1: (laughs) It really leads to the—I think this is great. Do you think this is great? This is great. (laughs) It's all great. It's all fine.
0: Well, and that, that said, we've heard a recent example, too, of, of maybe an organization that has a diverse board. The, at the board level, they, they recognize the need for diversity, but perhaps their frontline staff aren't great at engaging uh, people from other communities as well. So in that case, that's maybe needs to be a more top-down conversation where very you know diverse, probably educated, uh, open-minded board needs to make sure that that message is getting filtered down to their staff that uh, are encountering the public on an everyday basis as well.
2: Yeah to remember this, not diversity for diversity's sake. It's mm-hmm. diversity because it's relevant and helpful. Not you know you don't you don't need to reinvent your business or change your core vision and mission just to try and make yourself more inclusive. The point of diversity is to bring uh, outside opinions and perspectives and to really enrich the conversation and
1: uh, to make your business better.
0: So guys, how can members then get more involved in their co-ops?
1: I don't know. It takes different ways, right? I mean, speaking as a member of consumer co-ops or community service co-ops, just be a part of it. Go ask questions, attend meetings. If there's a newsletter, read it, stay up to date. It's the best way of actually staying involved. And when something happens, then you know. Yeah.
2: If you're a member or shareholder, then it's yours. You should be engaged and interested. And so, you know, like follow along on uh, their Twitter or uh, Mm -hmm. show up at
1: AGMs and voice your opinion. Absolutely. And don't forget to put something in the suggestion box. <laughs> Always put something in the suggestion box. I will say, though, that, you know, that sort of thing does lead to a uh, a really cool phenomenon, the kind of stealth democracy in co-ops. Because, <laughs> again, I've been in organizations that have really low turnouts at the AGM, and we never hear from people. But I know that they're following along on what's happening, because if something goes wrong... Boom, the room gets filled. And there's a really cool quote by Hibbings and Theis Morse in their book. And its involvement in the democratic process is akin to taking medicine insofar as we really only do it when something's wrong. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, if, if we put forward a resolution to close Saskatoon Co-op, we're probably going to see some people out at that AGM. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not something inherently bad. But it is kind of a good reminder that, you know, even though people aren't visibly involved um, in every aspect of their co-op, they've probably got the co-ops back. They're yeah. keeping, they are up to date with what's happening and, and they do care at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And if you're a uh, worker co-op with more people and mm-hmm. have consi- someone who consistently doesn't show up on Fridays, then maybe that's mm-hmm.
1: something mm-hmm. to you. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of co-ops have tons of loyal patrons and general supporters, maybe not as many true believers as we'd maybe (laughs) like to see.
0: So I guess lastly, guys, can you just talk about uh, what Cooperatives First does to help co-ops enhance their member engagement?
1: Uh, There's a couple of things we can do. If you check out the Thrive services on our website, you'll see all sorts of different tangible products and services that we deliver to help out um, existing co-ops one of the big ones has to be our governance course that was created by the Center for the Study of Cooperatives at the University of Saskatchewan. It, uh, it's a great resource for anybody who's involved in decision making in an organization and really helps lay out what those roles are, what those mean, and introduces people to the foundations and governance. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, I think you can check out episode three of our podcast uh, where we talked with Paul Thompson who's the designer and instructor for that course. Um, But we also offer services like Engagement 101, where we facilitate a members meeting uh, with the co-ops leaders to try and work through an issue and get some of that member feedback. And we also do policy reviews to figure out, is there something in the organization that is keeping people from participating or how can we better organize our structure to get people involved and help use the co-op model more effectively?
2: Yeah, and also uh, I mean, the best way to learn is to learn from example, I think. And so if you follow along on our blogs and uh, the podcasts here and uh, also feel free to contact us, and we can connect you with like-minded and similar co-ops and uh, potentially create a conversation that way. Just many, many ways to, uh, many ways to learn.
0: Okay, thanks, guys. I think that sounds like a good place to wrap that up. Thanks, Dan and Kyle, for joining me in the studio today. Uh, Join us in a couple of weeks for the next episode of The Common Share.